We as a church family have spent the last two weeks dedicating time to learning about our enemy, Satan. Two weeks ago, Brother Tim stepped up to the pulpit and delivered a message that kind of set the stage of the battle that we're very familiar with, spiritual warfare, as Jacob read earlier. We learned from the sermon that the battle is fierce. The battle is spiritual and the battle is necessary. We also learned, or maybe a better word, is that we were reminded that the battle is against an enemy. Brother David continued on that sermon and came and gave a message the next week about Satan that forced me to meditate on God's word through the truths that David proclaimed. He, David proclaimed a few statements that last week that the Holy Spirit has led me to quickly review here this morning. Satan is not sovereign. God is. Satan is not omnipotent. God is. Satan is powerful, but he's not all-powerful. Satan is not omniscient. God is. And Satan is not omnipresent. God is. To be completely transparent this morning, I'm not sure that I fully recognized all these until your message last week, brother. I believe that in my own heart, it's really easy to portray the devil as something bigger than he is, more powerful than he is, or simply on an even playing field with the Lord. I think it's also very telling of the culture that we live in. I think it's super easy based on the TV shows and the movie shows that the enemies of these shows, right? The people that are going against the good characters in the show are on the same playing field, right? It doesn't make a good TV show if he's ultimately gonna lose, right? But this is not the case with Satan. I wanna recognize that Satan is effective, but he is not God, nor does he have the characteristics that make the Lord almighty. This is the reason why God is in heaven and Satan is gonna be banished to hell. Before I get too deep into the message this morning, I do wanna pose a question for us to all think about. Why have we spent the last two weeks talking about Satan and are continuing to do so today? Why are we going to continue, why are we going to continue talk about Satan through this message and throughout this series that we're in? Why? Let's open our swords and go right to the book that we have all been familiar with. Please turn, if you're not already there, to Ephesians 6, and we're going to read in verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in, his, in, and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to, to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of heaven, in the heavenly places. We're talking about Satan because he is our enemy that is trying to destroy us. This isn't a joke. This isn't something we can put off till tomorrow. This isn't something that we can take lightly. First Peter 5.8 says, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a, like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. In John 10, 10, Jesus himself said, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. If we don't recognize that Satan is our enemy, then our faith is not properly rooted in the true one and only gospel. I believe that the spirit is putting on my heart this morning to make sure that we put Satan in his proper context. And I think of it kind of like a teeter-totter. I don't know about you, but I always like playing on teeter-totters as a kid. 
I think that Satan, a lot of the time, is the same context as a teeter-totter. You know, on one side, we underplay Satan's effectiveness, right? We, we say that he's not very effective, right? He can't really do anything to us because we're believers in Christ, and we dismiss all the things he's doing in our hearts to sway us away from God. He's effective. We have to recognize it this morning. We have to recognize that Satan is able to sway our hearts to sin. But on the other side, he, he's also, he's not God, right? Look at the world around us. Satan's running wild, people worshiping him, people bending to his will, but he is not God. What comes to mind when we look at the effectiveness of Satan is the same story we looked at last week with David and Uriah in 2 Samuel 11. David, who scripture, was, who scripture refers to as a man after God's own heart, commits adultery with Uriah's wife and sends him to die in battle. Satan is manifesting himself in the hearts of those around us, and we must not forget the effectiveness of his wickedness. Yet, just as we spoke about earlier, we cannot confuse Satan with the Lord because the Lord is justifiably righteous. When Satan is everything we need, excuse me, when Jesus is everything we need as Lord and Savior, the devil is completely far from it. So over the past few weeks, we've learned what spiritual battle we're fighting, We've learned why it's necessary for us to fight it. We've learned who Satan is and who his demons are. And this week, I'm hoping we can glean light into how Satan's wickedness operates. But before we get any further, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I, I put the message before you, Lord. I pray that you, you will allow the Holy Spirit to reign over me this morning, Lord, and that the message you want proclaimed will be proclaimed. Lord, I pray over all of us in the congregation today that we may have ears that are receptive to hear what you have for us. And Lord, Lord, I pray we may walk out of this room ready to proclaim your gospel to those who haven't heard it. Lord, that we may spread it to further your kingdom. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Like I just stated, the goal for today, Lord willing, is to investigate and glean light into how Satan operates. And to put a sports metaphor on it, let's get into a scouting report of how Satan spews us into sinful thoughts and actions. And the scouting report really doesn't need to be super complex. I could name off a big list. I could have Jake continue to use a PowerPoint on the screen to show all the things that Satan does to lead us to sin, but it's really rooted in one simple, one simple yet powerful truth. Satan blatantly lies and deceives. Satan doesn't have a deep toolbox of tricks, and his tricks have been the same all throughout scripture. All we got to do is look and turn to them, which I want us to do. Let's turn to Genesis that we, we talked about as a church not too long ago, and let's look at Genesis 3 again, starting in verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, to the serpent we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. But in the midst of the garden, Excuse me. But the serpent said to the woman, you shall not surely die. For God knows that when, the, when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will, look like, you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to hit the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. 
and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then, it, then their eyes were both opened, and they knew that they were naked. And then they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. Did God actually say? Does that sound familiar? Does that sound like something we wrestle with in our own hearts? Did God really say that we shouldn't have idols? Did God really say that we shouldn't honor our father and mother? Did God really say that we should not commit adultery? Does, does it sound familiar? Satan negotiates through his lies. He persuades us that God didn't really mean the things that we can clearly read in scripture. He instills doubt in our mind, forcing us to question the innate word of God. Satan pushes us to think of some sins as less than their full penalty, which is death, and thus persuades us to do them. Satan wants us to do, wants to do anything in his power to get us to sin because he wants us to be as far away from God as possible. It's awful. It's terrible. Every sin is punishable with death and life sentenced to hell, which means Satan can win with any sin from lust of the mind all the way to murder and everything in between. Satan just has to get us to sin. That's his goal, and he's willing to do anything to get us to go against the will of God. We read in Matthew 4, 1 through 11, at the beginning of this message, and Satan intentionally and deceitfully lied to Jesus. And in a minute, we're gonna get into Jesus's response, but let's make it really clear this morning. Satan lies and Satan deceives. And you can arguably say, arguably say state that Satan in this passage of scripture does, does more of deceitful actions as opposed to just blatant lying, but it all comes out of a sense of dishonesty to the Lord. Scott Hubbard, an editor at Desiring God with founder and respected pastor John Piper states, when the devil met our Lord in the wilderness, he sought to make sin seem small. If Jesus truly were the son of God, what harm could there be in turning this one stone into a loaf? or allowing the adoring angels to bear up his falling body. Surely given the circumstances, these were privileges and necessities, not sin. Now we are not the son of God, but the devil knows a thousand ways to suggest the same to us. Perhaps we hear, you're so tired and under such pressure, who could blame you? Or did you not see so-and-so and do the same thing last week? Or if you are God's child, grace is available. Slowly, the blackness of sin turns gray. God's commands become recommendations. And before we even give way, we are mixing a balm to soothe our wounded conscience. That's why it's so important for us to, as followers of Christ to continually learn what God tells us and what is rooted in scripture. But we're not completely there yet. That's gonna be for the end. I think what we need to realize above everything else that we will speak about this message is that Satan uses lies and deceitful actions to make us question the unquestionable truths that we find in scripture. Through Satan's lies and deceitful tactics, many things come about and I want to go through four of them quickly. And so if you're the note taking type, here are the four, I'm gonna list them and then we'll go back individually. Number one, Satan blinds the minds of unbelievers. Number two, Satan attempts to blur our perception of light and darkness within the earthly context of our faith. Number three, Satan provides invalid hope through false signs and witnesses. And number four, Satan accuses Christians before God. 
The first one, Satan blinds the minds of unbelievers. Second Corinthians 4, 4 states, in their case, the God, lowercase g, referring to Satan, of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Satan not only lies and spreads deceitful falsehoods, but he hides what's true and of the most importance. Satan props up good gifts from God to a higher level of importance than the treasure of the gospel. And this is, in other words, idolatry. Money, power, fame, success, technology, families, careers, hobbies, even ourselves just as individuals, all of these things can be great blessings that God has given to us and that we can use to further his kingdom. Yet, what does Satan want us to do? He wants us to take our attention away from God and focus more on the gifts. When our priority should be on glorifying God with the gifts that he has graciously given us, Satan, the master negotiator, urges us instead to focus on the gift as a separate entity that we should feel entitled to. I feel like I continually focus on idolatry every time I step up here, but I think I'm continually called to do it. We can enjoy the gifts that God has blessed us with, but they shouldn't take focus off of the Lord. We must and are continually called to glorify God in our daily walk. We must, even when we aren't directly praising him, we can still, we can still represent our walk with Christ, right? And when we are enjoying the good gifts of his creation, we can glorify him in the process. Number two, Satan attempts to blur our perception of light and darkness within the earthly context of our faith. Again, in 2 Corinthians, instead in book, or excuse me, in chapter 11, verses 12 through 15, Paul states, and what am I doing, and what am I doing I will continue to do in order to undermine the claim of those who would like to claim that their boasted mission, they work on the same terms as we do. For such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disgusting, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Their end will correspond to their deeds. Satan encourages those that are around us in the world to claim maybe that they're Christians or that they're doing things for the right reason, devoted to Christ or spreading the gospel in order to spread false gospels. Brother Tim has come to the pulpit many times and he said, he said one thing, not, not just one thing, but one thing specific to this context that has really stuck with me. Not to get on a separate note or to do one of, one of Tim's rants, but we should challenge ourselves as believers to be like the Bereans in Acts 11. In verse 17, it reads in Acts 11, now these Jews were no, more noble than those in Thessalonica they received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. We should ensure that those that are coming to the pulpit are truly preaching a truthful gospel and what scripture tells us. If someone comes to the pulpit and is not speaking biblical truths, then we should promptly, respectfully, and most importantly, faithfully do what scripture tells us to do. And instead of just leaving it there, I wanna examine that in Titus 1, 10 through 16. For there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. 
They must be silenced since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. One of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, said Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. The te their tes this testimony is true. Therefore, rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in their faith, not devoting themselves to Jewish myths and the commands of people who turn away from that truth. To the pure, all things are pure, but to the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure, but both their minds and their con consciences are defiled. They profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. They're detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. This place true not only in the pulpit, but in everyday life, right? When we're going around, we shouldn't live by the example of unbelievers, going to the will of Satan instead of the will of God. Sean DeMars, pastor at Sixth Avenue Church and partner with the Nine Marks Group stated it brilliantly. These deceivers go out into the world with a teaching that is not of Christ. This teaching is perilous in that it separates men from God. John says that these deceivers are antichrists and that means they are anti-Christ. Jesus came to tell us the truth about God, man, sin, and salvation. But these teachers come to tell lies about God, man, sin, and salvation. And so their ministry of deception is completely anti-ethical to Jesus's ministry and truth. Do these deceivers know that they're deceivers? John doesn't tell us, and it doesn't really matter. What matters is that we know that the deceivers are real, they have gone out, and they are leading people to hell by confusing uh, with a different Jesus. Satan uses his forces to encourage deceivers to question our faith as believers and for unbelievers to root their faith and hope in the entirely wrong avenues. Number three, Satan provides invalid hope through false signs and witnesses. Continuing along the lines of false prophets and teachers, Satan uses these individuals to root false hope in the lives of those around us. We're encouraged again to devote our lives to everything else that's around us, and we think, and we, and we live in a world that's attempting to pull us away from the very building we stand in today. I think that's really easy for us to see signs of higher income, success in our relationships, or or getting out of some variation of a troubling time that you've been in and pull ourselves away from the faith that's rested on the word of God. And the Bible tells us that it's even easier when Satan is whispering encouragement right behind our ears. Second Thessalonians 2, 9 states, the coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders and with all wicked deception for those who are perishing because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. The activity of Satan, the encouragement of short-term pleasure, the empty promises of big things and little punishment in the name of confusion kills. Satan can tease us and he does tease us. I'm not trying to add confusion to this point in the message and, and start to make anyone question what gifts are good and what gifts aren't good or if we're being teased or if we're being not teased or anything of the sort. But the truth is that I, I don't understand it all I don't understand what gifts are going to be good and from God and what gifts are a tease from the devil. And I don't think God intended us to understand it all. But what I do know and what the Bible tells us is that there are going to be times of triumph and times of despair throughout, the, throughout our lifetime. There's going to be times when the blessings are easy to share about 
right? And there's also going to be times where there's an abundance of evil swarming throughout our lives, often with seemingly no rhyme or reason. It makes me think of Job. While I do believe that everything happens for a reason, that's not necessarily the point that I'm getting at. What I am trying to get at is that we must keep our hearts pointed towards the one true king, our Lord and Savior, no matter what obstacles or successes are thrown at us. And as cliche as that is, I find myself so often looking at myself as the answer for my own struggles or my own success without going to prayer and being with the Lord. I find myself trying to do everything by myself instead of the Lord. And I guess that's a confession this morning. But what I can promise us today is that when we are truly start turning our hearts to looking at our situation with a gospel-centered focus, it starts becoming less about our own successes and our own, and our own shortcomings and more about God, which is ultimately the goal. Number four, Satan accuses Christians before God. Revelation 12, 10 states, and I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come for the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down who accuses them day and night before our God. Although Satan has been defeated, his accusations still run wild. Satan has lost, and he's a really sore loser. I think of, I think of the team that loses in a game and is walking off the court and makes remarks, that, and it's really no different than Satan. Satan goes around spewing the same lies and deceit that he always has and encourage, encouraging anyone he can to repeat that wickedness. He's a sore loser, and he tries to bring everyone that he can down around him, and he's trying to get you. Make no mistake, Satan is going to try and target you, deceive you, lie to you, all in an effort to pull you away from God. But James stated in chapter 4, verse 7 of James, Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. That verse in James is a good preview for the next several weeks to come. As I'm sure we're all aware at this point, we've been reviewing the enemy before we take a deep dive into the armor of God. And going through the armor of God, we're going to continue to review and learn what it takes to resist the devil so that he can flee from us. Let's not lose sight that there's a battle raging around us, but let's also remember that there's a victor and his name is Jesus. And Jesus heard the lies Jesus heard the deceit and the accusations, and he resisted, even though we fall so short. Jesus calls us to put our faith in him so that we may be able to live in eternity with him in heaven, worshiping and praising the Father. So I encourage you, if there's anyone in this room who hasn't taken Jesus as their Lord and Savior this morning, please do it. Don't wait. Jesus loves you, and he laid down his life for you. Don't wait another second to dedicate your life to him. We want to do that. So just as the song we worship to this morning said, yet not I, but through Christ in me, we can say that at the end of the day. And I can't wait for that day when our race is finished. And as we walk out the doors this morning, I encourage us to continue to grow in Christ. Continue to read your Bible, continue to pray, continue coming to church and continue to be in fellowship with believers. Satan is going to continue his attempts to deceive us. He's going to continue to be a sore loser, but we need to be more focused on porting ourselves to and learning about him, God, and, and more about going 
to be able, and more of that is going to be able to distinguish what God tells us and what is inherently true. And this is exactly what Jesus did in Matthew 4, 1 through 11. He knew the scriptures and was not deceived. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, as I step away from the pulpit this morning, Lord, I pray that this is the message you wanted me to proclaim this morning. Lord, I pray that our hearts may be receptive, Lord, and that we may be able to determine Satan's wickedness in our daily lives, Lord, and that we may be able to tell him to go away, Lord, and that we may continue to point our eyes, to turn our eyes to you and on your son who you sent to die on the cross for us. And Lord, I pray if there's anyone in this building today who hasn't put their faith in Jesus, Lord, I pray that you lead them to talk to one of the leaders and the elders of this church, Lord, that you may allow them to profess that Jesus is the one true king and Lord, that he is our savior and that he died on the cross for us. Lord, it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.